The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. When life hands you a unique shift, what happens next? The gift is the shift. Welcome to The Sky's the Limit with your host, Karen Levitt. In our program, you will hear from people who have discovered the gift, whether through personal experience or those that are helping others through this experience. You'll find the next hour to be a motivating and encouraging one. Now, here is Karen Levitt. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining me. Today, I have a very special guest. I'm joined by Rosalinda Rosie Babin. She's the mother of a severely wounded warrior, and she knows firsthand the challenges that service members and their families face after they've been wounded and what the caregivers face when taking care of a severely wounded patient. She herself faced many paths with no clear direction and many no's from places she turned to for help after her son was critically wounded in 2003. Rosie is the founder and CEO of Help Our Wounded, a nonprofit organization that provides direct assistance, resources, and support to our wounded and those who care for them. And with that, I'd like to welcome Rosie Babin. Thank you, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's an honor and a privilege. Um, it really is. And I, I'd like to, you know, you've done so much um, with what seemed like, oh, just a parent's worst thought, or I hate to say, you know, nightmare. You never want to think of that. And you had tragedy hit you know, in your home, and you've actually found a way to to turn this into a, a blessing for many. So I would like to, you know, kind of get in that, into that piece of it and maybe share who, who you are, your family, your son. Sure. Well, um, you know, um, I am blessed to be married to my high school sweetheart. We've now been married for 37 years, and we have two children, Alan Jr., and uh, Christy, and Alan was 21 years old when the events of September 11th uh, happened, and he, um, you know, decided that he wanted to do something to help and insisted on becoming a combat medic with the 82nd Airborne Division. And um, as a veteran, you know, my husband and I both... uh, joined the military right out of high school, and um, we were very proud of Alan and yet very worried at the same time, especially when he decided he wanted to go airborne because if there was one thing we knew was that they, you know, get dropped on the front lines and Mm -hmm. behind the front lines. And, Mm -hmm. um, of course, it was... um, from the very beginning, very, very high probability that uh, we would be going to war after September 11th. And with Alan being in an elite unit like that, that he would certainly see battle. 
So, you know, I tell people that um, on the one hand, I wanted to hug him tight and tell him how proud I was of him and at the same time wring his chicken neck for wanting to (laughs) (laughs) undertake such an endeavor. But, you know, we just felt honored to, um, felt uh, led to honor um, his wishes uh, to want to serve our nation and our society and our civilians in that way. Mm -hmm. And what... When he was wounded, what year was that? I'm sorry, I have to go back. Alan was one of the first severely wounded in Iraq, March 31st of 2003. Oh, and, oh, wow. What was, what was that like for you as a parent? You know, it, um, like you said, it's one of the worst things a parent can go through to um, get that call that you're child has been injured in any way, but certainly with him halfway across the world, um, and Alan was so severely wounded that they couldn't extract him from the battlefield right away. So he lay on the hood of a gun truck for over three and a half hours oh. while they, um, you know, tried to work their way back from the battlefield before they could get an extraction helicopter in, and then... Um, he was so severely wounded that they didn't believe he would survive a medevac to Germany. So they placed him aboard the USNS Comfort, which is a Navy hospital ship and was anchored off the coast of Kuwait. And he remained on the Comfort for over three weeks and uh, endured over 20 you know, major surgeries while he was on board. And so we would get calls from the surgeon's while they did rounds in the morning, and it was about one thirty in the you know middle of the night for us, um, and those were the three most difficult weeks after we received the call. I mean, we literally would you know hang up the phone and just collapse in a heap on the floor of the kitchen because the Please news so. was so bad. It was just and you know it just got worse and worse and. It got to the point where when we answered the phone, we didn't know it, it was a call letting us know that he had made it through the night. Um, and, you know, after after about 10 days of just really struggling and praying, and I'm telling you, you, you understand the word incessant prayer after mm-hmm. undergoing something like this. And um, I was managing an accounting office in Austin, Texas at the time, and um, you know, had about an hour commute back and forth to work. And so it was during the height of tax season. And I would cry all the way to the office and try to keep it together during the day and then cry all the way home. And <sighs> one morning on the way to work, I just told God that if he wanted him that badly just to take him. You know, I just wanted the pain and the suffering to stop because the calls we were getting, you know, they were just cutting and pasting in his, uh, in his belly. Alan received a gunshot wound to the abdomen. So Mm -hmm. it entered on the right side of his, uh, flank in his breast and exited on the left, but tumbled and did its job. And so Alan lost 90% of his stomach 
and his spleen and part of his pancreas and had a, you know, a lot of diaphragmatic injury and oh. was just really severely septic and infections that just kept moving from one bodily system to another. And it was just so bad that I thought, you know, this just needs to end and we just need to let him go. And it was interesting how once I turned it over to God, Alan turned the corner. And we started getting, you know, a little bit better news and a little bit better news. And then he stabilized a little bit and the sandstorms acquiesced a little in uh, the area. And so they finally, after almost a month, were able to evacuate him to Lonstuhl, where, uh, Germany, where he was mm-hmm. for two days. And in the OR, both days, they told us, don't come here. We're going to get him stateside to... You know, so you can spend some time with him. They didn't expect him to survive. And um, we arrived at Walter Reed within hours of his arrival. And, um, you know, I just wanted to get my hands on him and be able to hold him and pray for him and let him know that we were there for him and that he wasn't going through this alone. And, mm-hmm. it, you know, we began a journey that has just been an amazing experience. And I know, you know, you shared with me that you saw the look in his eyes. And I know as a nurse, that was important. And I always prided myself on that I would, um, you know, look into a patient's eyes. And um, you know, and you said you you knew. So I wonder if we could share that because with everything that happened and all of his surgeries, the medical community wasn't really positive. They weren't giving you a lot of hope and, and all of that, were they? They were not. After, you know, surviving such a complicated medical challenge, three weeks after we arrived at Walter Reed, Alan, because of an improperly placed central line, contracted meningitis and suffered a stroke. So we went from gunshot wound recovery the stroke recovery, and, you know, the neurologists just were not, um, they just did not give us a lot of hope, and, uh, you know, the staff, and just felt like there wasn't much of a chance of recovery, but you know what, I knew the look in my son's eyes, and I know my children intimately, and that shine in Alan's eyes never stopped. He communicated Mm -hmm. loudly with his Mm -hmm. eyes and what I heard was a loud don't give up on me and we didn't and you know we became his voice and advocate and uh, demanded uh, therapy you know I he was in surgical ICU for seven months and typically Mm -hmm. they don't do a lot of therapy in ICU because they stabilize you and you go to a step-down ward and he wasn't going to go anywhere he lived with his abdomen open for seven months and so he was going to remain where he was and I you know demanded speech therapy and occupational and physical therapy and if all we could move was his fingers then that's what we moved for an hour <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's how he yeah. communicated with you right he moved, he was he able to move it he was able to obviously to move his eyes and open his eyes so it was that's he what asked, he was doing he, yes we communicated with uh eye blinks you know blink once for yes mm-hmm. and two for no and he would raise his eyebrows and okay. then you know about a year later he got a little bit better could could do a thumbs up and mm-hmm. and you know it it 
sweet um, and funny now, but one of the things that my husband did with him for manual dexterity was the things they did when he was little, and that was play thumb wars, you know? And um, just anything that we could do to stimulate and encourage um, Alan. And, you know, this young man went from being semi-comatose for over two and a half years to now becoming a, um, he's an adaptive skier. He skis every year. Um, He's a scuba diver uh, and a hand cyclist. Alan is a full-time wheelchair user and has, you know, challenges with his trunk control and um, some speech challenges and uh, fine motor skills. And, you know, he still has a shunt that drains uh, cerebral spinal fluid from his brain, and so he has consistent pressure on his brain. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that affected peripheral vision and has uh, loss of lower right quadrant vision. But this young man has inspired so many with his attitude of gratitude and just his joy for life. And Alan lived large. You know, we we do what we can to keep up with him in our mid-50s because his his attitude is why survive the battlefield to sit around and feel sorry for yourself or in a VA clinic. And Mm -hmm. so he stays pretty busy. I love that. And, um, you know, I know, like you said, that you didn't receive a lot of positive information um, from the hospital, you know, going forward. And when you say you did have, you battled and you, you fought, you really did become the voice and it was a battle. It wasn't pleasant. And I know um, when we spoke, you shared oh, a, a tidbit with me that you showed up one day in the hospital room with your laptop. And I would like to share that with the listeners if we could, because that, that, that was powerful. Absolutely. You know, it, um, my background was as a paralegal, and so my instinct was to immediately become familiar with the challenges, the medical challenges that Alan was having so that I could speak intelligently with his uh, medical staff. And so that began a whole new life of becoming informed on more you know, uh, other options, but also holistic um, options for Alan. And so I uh, found an empty bedside, hospital bedside table in the hallway one day and just um, dragged it into his room and literally set up an office by the window and would spend, you know, Alan, Alan was, um, like I said, semi-comatose for so long that we had a lot of hours on our hands at his bedside if we weren't helping with his physical needs. And so I did a lot of research, a lot of research, and um, became not just Alan's advocate, I think, but um, a part of his medical team. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were just so many new things that uh, were happening with these young men and women that were surviving injuries off the battlefield that, had, you know, they didn't in previous campaigns. And right. um, it was important to me to, at every round, and I was present for every single round that Alan went through with his team of doctors, you know, wanted to be able to offer 
alternative things uh, that we could try with Alan. And um, I just, you know, I think it was important for me because it made me feel like I had um, some part of ownership in his medical team. And I think it helped them understand that to see Alan as a person and not as another quote unquote casualty, just Mm -hmm. another number. And I also, you know, I started printing pictures. I had a friend that saw what I was doing, um, you know, going to the um, office supply store and printing pictures of Alan when he was younger and our family so that they could see what, you know, an active, um, joyful person this had been. And so he sent a printer to me while we were um, staying at Walter Reed so that, you know, I could continue to do that. And so it was interesting because then we take pictures with him and visitors and nursing staff and the, the staff used to call it, you know, the wall of fame if you made it to Alan's um, wall of pictures. But, you know, I think sometimes... Um, our medical professionals forget that behind mm-hmm. that patient lying in the bed is a whole, an entire family that has been Absolutely. affected by the trauma. Absolutely. It's a son, a daughter, a mother, a father. They have a whole, it's not just them. They have a whole history and a whole family tree with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And with that, Rosie, it looks like we're coming up to a break. So I'm going to take a, we're going to pause for a quick break. Um, We'll return shortly. We hope that you stay with us. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. What if you are greater than anything that you could ever imagine? What if the raising of the consciousness of our beautiful planet begins with acknowledging the greatness you are? Listen for Conscious Life and Living with Jackie Chapman. What if it's time to take charge of your life, acknowledge what is, and know that you know, because you always do. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Want more positivity in your life? Are you ready to get healthy, happy, and energized? Join the Stella Donna Goddess Gals, Cynthia Bryan, and Heather Brittany for a power hour of stimulating, supportive conversation on Star Style. Be the star you are. A lineup of best-selling authors, celebrities, and experts. Join the effervescent mother-daughter dynamic duo in this upbeat, positive, life-changing talk radio playground. Star Style, Be the Star You Are, Wednesdays, 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Lend us your ears. It's power time. Do you ever stop to question yourself? Is there more that you could be doing in your life to help you? How can you manifest real change in the world? The answers to these and other questions about ourselves lie in sustainability from within. Featuring host Silvelli Salviato, you can take the either or and change it into both and. If you want to make real changes in yourself, your life, and your world, you can't miss one show. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Empowerment. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment.
You are listening to The Sky's the Limit with Karen Levitt. If you have a comment or question about the show, we encourage you to send an email to the sky's the limit show at gmail.com. That's the sky's the limit show at gmail.com. And remember to use the hashtag the gift is the shift all over social media and encourage others to discover the program. Now, back to Karen Levitt. Hi, we're back. Thank you. This is Karen with Rosie Babin. And before the break, we were speaking about uh, patients and hospitalizations and all the procedures and diagnoses and surgeries. And oftentimes medical professionals can become blind, if you will, to the person in the bed. It's not just um, a person with an ICD-9 diagnosis code. And with that, uh, Rosie and I will pick up where we left off. She was talking about Alan and his journey. Which, you know, created an entire new journey for me as well. While at his bedside at Walter Reed, um, I sometimes felt like I'd been in basic training for this challenge my entire life as a veteran, as a paralegal, as an office manager, you know, and not just as a veteran, but I was also a military dependent after I finished my service and my husband stayed in. And so we came to Walter Reed with a unique set of skills that many other families didn't have. And I took that and put it to work for Alan. Mm -hmm. And during our time there, there were many times that, um, you know, as I said, we were one of the first families that arrived at Walter Reed with these type of challenges and injuries and left our home and our family behind. And so all of a sudden, these families were faced with, you know, almost two mortgages and travel expenses that nobody was prepared for. And this was before so many of the programs that are in place now were available. And so we were having to pay for, you know, lodging and food and gas and nurses and staff would introduce me to other families that had, you know, tremendous needs that just weren't able to have the support that, you know, type of support that we had at home from the community and friends and family. And so I very informally became, I guess, kind of a conduit or a connector for families Mm -hmm. and nonprofit organizations to get them the resources that they needed. And, um, and also almost kind of a part-time volunteer in supporting some of these families as they were going through these challenges. Um, I speak Spanish fluently and sometimes, you know, pitched in to uh, help staff communicate with families that were non-English speaking coming to see their loved ones. And I continue to do that because, you know, at Alan's bedside and then as he recovered at his side, because we've been joined at the hip, I am his uh, full-time caregiver and, uh, you know, continue to meet families with great needs and to put them together with nonprofits. And after the events of the Fort Hood shootings, mm-hmm. and I had, um, you know, federal recovery coordinators calling me for resources in Central Texas because they could only do so much and working to find that and, you know, kind of budding, bumping into roadblocks trying to find resources. Um, I had some friends encourage me to found an organization myself where I would have some decision-making authority because, you know, if anybody has lived it, we had. 
And mm-hmm. so uh, several of the nurses that have been in Alan's life and an occupational therapist, the medic that extracted him, uh, are on our board. And so in, uh, you know, a short five years for a very young nonprofit organization, we have done over $1.3 million in direct financial assistance with, you know, rent eviction prevention and uh, foreclosure prevention and filling pantries with food and um, the the critical needs, vehicle repairs Mm -hmm. and such. But we also have had the blessing of sponsoring many of um, our combat wounded to uh, adaptive rehab sports clinics and events and we are annual sponsors at the uh, Disabled American Veterans and VA Winter Sports Clinic in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, th- that clinic changed our lives. The first one Alan attended in 2006, we arrived with um, still a, a pretty ill young man, you know, recovering. And at the suggestion of his recreational therapist, we agreed to take him to try adaptive skiing and my husband arrived at that clinic focusing on all of the medical needs that Alan had and the challenges and you know trying to make each day a little bit better for him and after a week of skiing and adaptive scuba diving and snowmobiling we departed a totally different family we began to focus on Alan's abilities and not his disabilities. And, you know, at the very last day, I asked Alan what he had enjoyed the most about the clinic, Mm -hmm. which uh, is attended by about 350 disabled veterans, fully expecting him to, you know, choose a sport that he had done. Mm -hmm. And he immediately said, for the first time, I felt normal. And let me tell you, I knew, I knew that that event was going to be on his calendar every year. And it's the first event that gets put on his calendar. And I vowed that if I ever had the ability to make this happen for other families, that Mm -hmm. I would. And um, we, we've been sponsors of the clinic for four years. That's beautiful. That is really beautiful. That's incredible. The name of your nonprofit is Help Our Wounded, and I'd like That's to cool. get it. I'd like to get into that because what you what you've created oh, from this experience is 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 unbelievable. You you help so many, and it, like you said, it almost utilizes every single talent and um, occupation and employment opportunity you've had. So um, yeah, your your organization has a unique set of skills that you say um, you help with what ha- what happens after the call. And I wondered if you could enlighten the listeners to what that means. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, it, we do exactly what we're named. We help our wounded and those who care for them because it's very important that our caregivers receive the level of support that they need. You know, so many... Um, in so many of these cases, like Alan, you know, our warrior is going to be okay because of the love of their family. How do we make sure that they're okay and that they are supported? Because in so many of these cases, this is going to be 
they're going to be caring for them for a long time. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, not all of the services that we provide are financial. The support aspect of it is so important. And um, advocating before the military and, um, you know, the Veterans Administration and community um, organizations. I speak before civic organizations and schools, um, creating awareness about, number one, the cost of freedom, mm-hmm. and two, that it's going to take a lot of us for a long time to help these young men and women, you know, have the best quality of life that we can provide for them. Mm-hmm. And um, we, you know, wrote it into our bylaws. We move quickly when there's emergency financial assistance required because we know what it's like for every other, you know, bureaucracy that we deal with and how long it takes to make anything happen. And mm-hmm. so we're we're pretty stealth. <laughs> that, like I said, it's unbelievable what you've been able to accomplish in such a short time and with, with all of your skills and, and, you know, everybody's, everything has come together so quickly. It's unbelievable. It's incredible. It's beautiful. And Thank it, you. Um, well, you know, we refuse to be uh, casualties of war. Well said. Yeah, well said because, you know, your son and so many other men and women have truly paid the price for us to all have what we have. And, yeah, when they come home, they, they deserve so much. And you're giving back in such a big way. It's beautiful. And and you also help um, understand the needs, like you said, during hospitalization and transition, and quote-unquote, the new normal, you know, because there is a new normal. And um, I, I, I really like that that phrase or term, if you will, as opposed to others that are pretty prevalent um, once somebody has a diagnosis or appears um, a little bit different than they were before. Yeah, I can mm-hmm. say that. So I, I really like that uh, use of the the new normal. And so, yeah. well, and you know, I'm uh, so blessed sometimes to meet some uh, young families that are just beginning their journey into what's going to be their new normal that are just scared to death because they don't know what to face, and and sometimes voice that you know my life just isn't the way it was before or what I expected. And I'm privileged to be able to share with them that their life will never be the same again, but it can still be a great life. Our life Mm -hmm. is nothing like it was before this happened. But, um, you know, we have met some of the greatest Americans and the most amazing human interactions through this. Our family and friend's circle has grown through it, and, um, you know, so, so it is not, but our new normal is an amazing life of, uh, of service, and we're grateful that we can continue to be of service and use this, what could have been a devastating tragedy to help others and to grow from it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and Alan sounds like he's continuing to grow as well, which is beautiful because when, no offense to all the medical community and all this, you know, he had numerous surgeries with all the technology they didn't expect. They didn't see much life left in him, like you said, you know, and now he's he's growing and thriving. And that's beautiful. Absolutely. And, 
Mm. Yes, absolutely. Alan survived over 70 abdominal surgeries and five brain surgeries. And mm. the Army wanted to send him to a nursing home uh, at the end of 2003 until he was ready for rehab. And I said, if he goes to a nursing home, he'll never make it to rehab. And so I set about, you know, to find a rehab hospital that was closer to home because I wanted to be able to live at home with my husband and daughter while continuing to, um, you know, direct his care. And we were blessed that we found a hospital in South Austin that was 20 miles from home. And so I commuted every day. But um, Alan, you know, and, and I've had to take him back to Walter Reed several times. Um, like I said, he lost 90% of his stomach. He lived for two and a half years with part of his intestine outside of his body in a, you know, colostomy type bag to keep it uh, healthy. And so they reconstructed his digestive system in 2005. And many of the doctors that had worked on him in 2003 were still around. But, you know, he was still doing a lot of recovery. That was still a very uh, tough time. But in 2012, because of some challenges with the mesh that was placed, I took him back to the same surgeon that had worked in him in 03 and 05. And um, they again reconstructed. And of course, by this time that we went back, the person that they saw was a totally different, new and improved <laughs> patient than what they had seen in 2005. And it was so rewarding and such a blessing to see the look on some of the doctor's faces when they mm -hmm. would see him. And there was one neurologist that came in the room when Alan was laying in his hospital bed and I was on the other side and he's talking to me about, you know, Alan would remember him and, uh, but, you know, he just always wanted to know how Alan was doing and wanted me to tell him, you know, this and that. And I said, doctor, tell him yourself. Alan understands exactly what you're saying and Alan said I do how are you my mom's told me about all my time in 2003 and he blanched and I thought he was going to pass out because he didn't <sighs> expect Alan to speak he That's figured after the stroke that you know and I mean Alan didn't speak for several years mm -hmm. um, you know it just it just was continues to be proof that we're doing the right things. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, the human body is, is designed, well-designed, and it, I think we're resilient. And, um, yeah, I think sometimes, I um, have to be careful, well, I think sometimes in medicine, medicine, medical community can be too quick, um, as you know. And, you know, you're such a strong advocate. I would say, what would you say to someone who, a family member who who has someone newly wounded, who maybe, you know, that's a struggle for them to find their voice? Because I, I get it, your background, you're a paralegal, you've been in the military, you know, you, you have all this, all of these skills. Well, what, what would you offer, like I said, to a newly wounded family member to find their voice? One, to realize that they do have a voice and mm -hmm. to educate themselves as much as possible on the options available, you know, medically. What, what explain to me, you know, there's nothing wrong with telling a medical professional, after all, they're working for you. <laughs> I, you know, explain to me what this is, what are the risks, 
What are the options? And, um, and take ownership of that role as an advocate because you, you do have an important voice and legally you have an important voice and not to give up hope. And the other Mm -hmm. very important thing is take care of yourself first because you can't take care of others if you don't take care of yourself. And especially in those early days, you know, and hospital stays are tough on families and caregivers. And we were blessed that a nurse told us early on, you can have access to his room anytime you want, as long as you promise you'll eat, you'll sleep, and you'll drink plenty of water. And I've never forgotten that. And it's interesting how, you know, such simple things can make such a difference in the advocate remaining strong. Mm -hmm. And reach out for help. Americans step up when they know there's a need, but if people don't know you have a need, they can't help you. Ask That's for true. help. And continue to ask, right? Is that the key? Continue to ask? And continue to ask because the needs will change. And, you know, as a nonprofit, so many times we meet these families and get cases for one specific thing, but as we get to know them and learn of their family situation, so many times we identify needs that they don't even know they have or are going to have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's very fluid, especially with those that have been severely wounded. The needs change from year to year, sometimes in a good way, because the warrior is improving. And mm-hmm. so... Um, it's going to, like I said, the needs are going to be around for a long, long time because they're so young. Mm-hmm. Indeed, yeah. yeah heart, they give heart and soul to serve, like I said, as you know, to afford us the freedom that we all have every day. It, 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 yeah, that's incredible. And we're, we are getting ready to take a break. So I would like to um, take, pause for a quick break and ask that the listeners stay with us. And we'll be back in a moment. Thank you. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you have complete control over your thoughts and your life? It seems like we do, but there are always outside forces that are wreaking havoc with that control. How do we get our thoughts back on track, so to speak? Listen for help. My thoughts are holding me hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. When you command the power of thought, you can achieve or have whatever you want. Make the laws of the universe work for you. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Are you happy in your life or are you just settling? It's time to speak out, take control of your existence, and let your life speak. Bart Queen is the host of A Hero's Journey. His personal goal is to help you find your voice, use that voice, and live the life that you deserve to live. Do more, be more, and give more. Tune in to A Hero's Journey on the Voice America Empowerment Channel live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You owe it to yourself to tune in and make your voice count. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? 
Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You will learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to The Sky's the Limit with Karen Levitt. If you have a comment or question about the show, we encourage you to send an email to the sky's the limit show at gmail.com. That's the sky's the limit show at gmail.com. And remember to use the hashtag the gift is the shift all over social media and encourage others to discover the program. Now, back to Karen Levitt. Hi, welcome back. This is Karen Levitt, joined by Rosie Babin, and we're talking about HelpOurWounded.org, her nonprofit, and we're talking about um, wounded when they come home and in the hospital and the battle that the family has to stay strong, for the caregivers to stay strong, find their voice, continue to ask for help, and the importance of self-care. And um, Rosa, I was going to ask, I know your, your organization, Help Our Wounded, offers assistance in the United States, Afghanistan, Iraq, and land still as well. It, it, it's pretty extensive. I wondered if we could go into, you know, what kind of assistance you provide, you know, out of the country especially. Absolutely. We um, continue to provide comfort uh, items um, to our warriors, you know, um, while our military provides all of the supplies that they need, we have found that there have been times where because of lack of, you know, electricity and facilities, sometimes our soldiers are out there with uh, needs for sheets and towels and, you know, sweats and things because there's no way to do laundry. And um, so... You know, things as simple as that. And, of course, sending the typical care packages and uh, phone calling cards and um, during the holidays providing uh, any of the needs that they have, we continue to do that. Um, we also provide comfort items at veterans' hospitals. Uh, many of our um, spinal cord injury clinics have patients that are admitted for you know, weeks and months on end because of open wounds that need professional medical attention to heal. And so many of these veterans are confined to a bed for weeks. And so, you know, MP3 players with um, spiritual content on them are provided and comfort items. Um, Sometimes these veterans are picked up by an ambulance at home, you know, those that may live alone, and uh, arrive at the hospital with nothing. And mm-hmm. so we make sure that um, whenever, you know, it's requested, we provide um, T-shirts and uh, personal hygiene kits and puzzles and books and, you know, anything that might make that hospital stay a little bit better. Um and it's not just, you know, in the hospital setting. We have 
Oh, so many of the invisible wounds of war that Mm -hmm. have to be addressed. And um, we believe that uh, rehab sports and physical activity helps with, you know, the effects of post-traumatic stress and those that deal with suicidal ideations. And um, we believe that getting them engaged and active in sports and the outdoors and in the community um, helps prevent um, you know that downward spiral, and uh, we uh, we love sharing with them that you know any bad day skiing is better than a good day in the hospital, and um, you know so engaging them um, mm-hmm. mentally and physically uh, right. with the outdoors and with sports. Yeah, I know with well as you t- term it, and I understand the invisible wounds of war, which you know can be the suicidal ideation, the PTSD. That can be very isolating, that in of itself. I mean, the the depression and all that goes with it. So oftentimes, I know for myself, even with, you know, has a traumatic brain injury, um, having segments of that uh, can be a very lonely, lonely walk. And friends and family are far and few between. They don't, they don't want to stick around. So do you offer, um, you know, the, frame, the framework or your bridge? you know, during that time as well, when friends and family may be scarce for these uh, warriors? Absolutely, and, you know, even partnering families up with uh, each other nearby that can support each other. Um, But, yeah, isolation is uh, is a killer. And so we work hard, not just ourselves, but we... We really work at partnering up with other organizations that we've created relationships with to, uh, you know, where that's their main mission is to provide um, bike rides or hikes and, um, you know, to identify some of the uh, uh, veterans and families that we get and connect them with organizations that uh, think alike, um, mm-hmm. that understand that, the you know, it's about mind, body, spirit, and keeping all of it healthy and engaged in the community. I mean, you know, veterans often have such a difficult transition back into civilian life because of what they've experienced, and, and they have so much to offer their communities, uh, mm-hmm. which is why we have to help them through those, um, you know, tough times during transition. Right. They're very strong people. I mean, you talk about type A and talk about driven. And I think you may have termed it, I think, you know, living on the living on adrenaline. I mean, anybody in the military who, you know, doesn't like, for instance, your son, Alan, you know, that's a pure adrenaline rush. You do it for love. But also there's that surge of adrenaline and there's. There's no room for error. You know, it's just right. you go, you right. go. And then they, they come back from having lived that way for 15 months or more on the battlefield where, you know, it's that heightened sense. And then we expect them to transition into a, you know, community mm-hmm. um, that, that to us, by all appearances, is safe, but um, they haven't lived that. And it's a difficult transition. And right. it's difficult also, you know, on the PTSD side because um, with that mental wound of these were strong people that now are having challenges um, 
and how do you ask for help? And that's, it's tough, and it affects their families. Mm-hmm. It, it does, it does. Like, it's, you know, it's invisible, so you can't see it. So, you know, they, they appear um, like everybody else on the street, but you, you can't know what's going on inside. And very strong, proud people, very strong and proud, and they'll, they're not really going to tell you. You just don't talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, some of the services that we provide are also, like I said, you know, the caregivers. um, Sometimes our veterans will um, go into the VA system where, you know, the veteran has benefits, but depending on the percentage of disability, the spouse may not have any benefits, and mm-hmm. um, and here they now they're a caregiver that may not you know qualify for a caregiver support program, and so we help sponsor spouses for retreats so they can have some respite time and mm-hmm. self care and emergency medical assistance for them you know with dental issues and vision you know eyeglasses. That, mm-hmm. um, you know, the little things that we just don't think about because some of these combat veterans do their four years and they transition out or there's a drawdown, you know, and they're mm-hmm. pushed out. And in the meantime, there's no entrance. Right. Right. And yeah. Or, so there's. Yeah. And for the wounded, you know, what you're doing is so critical because once you've completed your rehab window, if you will, window of time and you've completed however many weeks it is that's covered, um, you're pretty much left to navigate on your own. So mm-hmm. um, your organization is crucial. And I also know that you um, you speak before civics and veterans groups and you inspire and motivate them. With that, you've also, um, you know, you work to be a bridge with the Department of Defense and the VA, uh, and you've also worked with Congress. What what is that like? Did did you ever imagine all of this? I never could have imagined. Never. And you know, it started at Alan's bedside. Uh, we, my husband, is a veteran law enforcement officer. He's uh, an assistant chief of police, and so we. Um, when Alan was wounded, our congressman, who was a freshman congressman that year had worked with my husband, you know, in the court system because he was a judge in the county in which we lived. And so, thank goodness, we had an instant connection when we arrived at D.C. and an access to him because he came to visit Alan, you know, several times a month, sometimes weekly when we were at Walter Reed. And, you know, even the guard and reservists that were assigned to Walter Reed back in 2003 initially we're not getting paid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, DOD just wasn't prepared to start paying these garden reserves. And so these people that had come in from all over the country were having to rent apartments and work these trauma units and then deal with the financial issues of it. And I overheard a conversation, and the next time, you know, Congressman Carter was there to visit Allen, I asked him to look into it because there were some challenges with pay for our garden reserve. And you know, within 10 days, he had done a brief and checked in on it, and we got that solved. And so, you know, it just, so many relationships that had been made over the years and um, and working in law firms and, you know, knowing to ask and knowing who to ask and what to ask mm-hmm. um, just made such a difference for so many families. And, and it hasn't stopped. 
You know, I continue to do the ask for our combat wounded and, and their family. Well, it, it's amazing and it's beautiful. And I was going to ask, what do you see next in the, in the near future for you and your the organization? Well, we continue to grow. We have uh, some major events coming up. We do an annual New Year's Eve fundraising gala in Lakeway, Texas. And that uh, this will be our third year, and it uh, invitations haven't gone out yet, and reservations and tables are already being sold. And we will be hosting a, a fundraiser golf tournament in June in Georgetown, Texas. And that's coming together beautifully. And, you know, um, we, we, a lot of it, too, is going to mean that we need to focus on continuing to create awareness within our society mm-hmm. because as the drawdowns happen, Americans kind of forget about the military and that there are still thousands of them deployed. And, um, I just refuse to allow Americans to forget about the needs of our military and our combat wounded. And um, but I think long term, we'll probably be focusing on the families and caregivers because, like I uh-huh. said, so many of them are so young that it's going to be decades and decades of service for these, you know, young wives and some husbands that are in their twenties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's young. I mean, it really is young, and they're gonna need they're gonna need some help, absolutely. Okay. And God bless you for what you're doing. Seriously, it truly is a labor of love. And um, looks like we're getting ready to come to a close quite soon. And I always like to ask, uh, so I'll ask you, Rosie. Is there one one takeaway, one tidbit that you'd like or hope that the listeners would gain from today? What Alan says all the time, you know, you just can't never, never, never give up. Never give up. And please go to helpourwounded.org to learn more and uh, give generously. Okay, so if anybody wants to reach out to you for information, that's where they go. Help. It's helpourwounded.org. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, awesome. Well, the hour's flown by with you. This has been an incredible, incredible conversation. I'm blessed to have you and share all of all of your journey with us and um, what you've been able to create. I, I always say the gift is in the shift, whatever it looks like. There's always a gift inside somewhere. We may not see it, but then it does eventually manifest. And I want to thank you for what you're doing and for joining me and, uh, It's an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. I want to, once again, really thank you from the bottom of my heart as a military brat and uh, (laughs) growing up in the, growing, yeah, growing up in the military. And uh, I want to thank the listeners and I hope that they tune in next week and I'll see you next week. And thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for joining us for The Sky's the Limit. Karen Levitt looks forward to having you tune in for another program next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember, the gift is the shift.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.